Well, let's, let's start with prayer, shall we? All right. Well, Father, we thank you this morning for just the opportunity to be in your house and to be in your presence. And uh, we thank you, Father, for your word that you are continually downloading into our hearts. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of, so to speak, ingesting it and filling ourselves up with it and becoming your light. And we, um, we just give you this time this morning and, and ask that you would continue to direct us and how we can minister to you. And we just ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. All righty, Didi. So this morning, we're going to look at a word called, plastered across your paper there, fallen. It's the Greek word ekpipto in the New Testament. And this may seem kind of like an odd word to look at, particularly in light of the fact that um, we're moving into a new season of expansion and um, we've, been, we've come from a distinct measure of um, refining over these past really couple of years, I guess you would say. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think this concept holds some helpful perspective as we look ahead to how we're going to be needing to function in this new level of sonship that the, the Father's taking us into. So let's just look at the word here uh, and its definition to start with. Um, it's, it's usually used the word fallen in English, but the, the Greek word ekpipto means to drop away, to be driven out of one's course, to lose or to become inefficient. And if you look at the roots there, you can see the, uh, where it comes from, especially the pipto part, which is descending from a higher place to a lower, to fall under judgment, to be cast down from a state of prosperity, to fall from a state of uprightness, to lose authority, to no longer have force, and to miss a share in. This already sounds a little on the depressing side, but it won't be, trust me. <laughs> so my initial thought when I saw this word and the Lord kept um, hammering this in, it made me think about that scripture in Isaiah um, 14, 12 regarding Lucifer. It probably comes to your, your mind where it says, how thou, thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. But that's a different word. Of course, it's Hebrew. Of course, it would be a different word, but it's a different meaning. Um, that's the word in a fall. And it's, it really means to fall of a violent death, to be cast down, to fail, to waste away. And while these two words are kind of similar in nature, uh, ekpipto is not necessarily final, although it can be very difficult to return from or to regain your previous position. Whereas nafal is more of a final condition where there's absolutely no turning back. It's done. When Satan was cast out of heaven, there wasn't a get out of jail card, free card. <laughs> get out of jail free card. There you go. He, he wasn't going back. Um, so usually I would start with the first usage of this word in scripture. But since that first usage is really a prophetic declaration of the end objective, I'm going to save that for last. So no peeking. Um, but let's do start with um, this reference in Romans 9. And this, we find this word noted in a rather long passage that I've included here, but I just really couldn't find a good stopping point um, without providing this whole picture. So it's, this picture is really a summary of the spiritual principle that we're all very familiar with, where many are chosen, or many are called, but few choose to, to answer that call. So let's start with Romans 9, verses 1 through 13. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh of Christ came, who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the logos of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, 
Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's a mouthful. But the fact that he starts out with, I'm telling you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, which I find that kind of a funny odd that he mentions that, as though he would need to say that. I mean, what, had somebody accused him of liar, liar, pants on fire? I mean, it, it, this just, it's just emphasizing how much he's invested in this. Um, Even my conscience will testify in the spirit to the sorrow and consuming grief I'm enduring because the very people I'm a part of, the very ones who are responsible for me following God in the first place, have rejected this great calling of the Father. That's kind of hard to wrap your head around. I mean, I know we feel that way today, even about the Gentiles that are called. How could you not want this? You know, but the word he uses here for wish, wish is yukamai, praying for Israel to be per, in perfect alignment with the will of Father God and supplied with all that's needed to fulfill that. So that's Paul's main desire, and that's his main objective in life and in his ministry, in what God has called him to do, who the people that God has called him to minister to. And this accursed business makes it sound as though Paul would step away from this calling for the sake of the Israelites coming to it. But it's actually just the opposite. Anathema here speaks of either opposing an ordained calling of God, which we know Paul would never do, <clears throat> excuse me, or extending oneself on behalf of the anointing and commissioning of God. So this is what sets the stage for Paul's heaviness and for his continual sorrow that he's ministering to them on behalf of God's ordained calling and his heart for Israel. But they're rejecting it. And Paul says, I would readily receive a different gifting. I mean, Paul was extremely gifted in the Lord, but he's willing to lay that aside and accept a different gifting, different inclination spiritually in order to accomplish God's will for his brethren, if it would make a difference in their response. I mean, that's how serious he's accepted this responsibility. And then we see the extent to which God has gone to give Israel the opportunity to be first-fruit sons. There's that listing there. He offered them the initial calling of sonship over all the other people groups of the earth. He'd given them the glory of God, that cleansing and activating influence of God's Spirit. He provided them with the covenants, the means by which they could partner with the Father, gave them the law, that plumb line of alignment with the Father's heart, service to God, which really is the perfect way to serve mankind as well. If you get everything lined up in the right way and you serve God first, then you can serve mankind the way God needs them to be served. And God's promises, which are not only unfailing, but expand on into eternity. And what was the response? Nobody, nope, no thanks, not today. And then we come to our word, ekpipto, in verse 6. Not that the word of God has taken no effect, or no ekpipto. So just in case you're wondering if there's anything new under the sun, you're right. Here's the same old demonic ploy Paul's speaking of that we see resurrected today through not only the progressive movement, but just in the church in general that somehow the logos is lacking, the logos of God is lacking in what mankind needs, that it needs to be broader in its inclusion, that it's not the only source of truth. And in fact, there's other sources that may carry even more impact of truth than what the logos carries, and that it's somehow not complete, but it has withheld vital principles that are being supplied in other schools of thought. You know, the enemy really does have nothing new. He just repackages it, utilizing the same strategy, 
that he used with Eve in the garden to insinuate that God's word somehow comes up short in fulfilling who we were really meant to be. I mean, that's really at the crux of what she was buying into, wasn't it? God's withholding something from you. You know, it's going to keep you from being the full identity of what he wants you to be. Why would we even go there? And I say we because it's a temptation at different points to everybody, you know. I don't think you want my announcements in the middle of this, so I'll just put that um, over there. Commercial. But Paul makes it crystal clear here that it's not God's agenda and identity for man that's inefficient or ekpipto. His logos is not missing some integral portion that the Israelites just couldn't understand or that fell short of what they would need to be as sons of God. That failing resides within those who are chosen but will not willingly submit their lives to the calling and anointing of God, as it still does today. So we've seen this many times, and it's always grievous to us when it occurs. But for clarity's sake, Paul's making sure that the saints understand not everybody who is of Israel who is Israel, is of Israel. And not everybody that's a descendant of Abraham is a child of Abraham. So everyone that calls themselves a believer in the flesh is not necessarily a child of God. The seed, the vessel who submits him or herself to be the life force for what God is doing on the earth is the child of promise. And I'm sorry if the world doesn't like that answer, but you'll have to take it up with God because these are his words through Paul. And if we look back at the example of Esau and Jacob that's mentioned here, you know, when God said that he hated Esau, did he literally hate Esau? Is that what he meant as the way that we would view that word, hate? No. But Esau's casual casting away of his birthright, his devaluing and rejection of his identity before God, made him somebody that God could not partner with, even though Esau was still what? An Israelite. He was still that person. He was still part of Israel. Jacob, on the other hand, even though we find that he was often making some unwise choices, he still passionately desired that birthright. And that desire to be who God created him to be made him a partner in agape, even when his own imperfections rose up to the surface. And I think we should all be grateful for that because we've all been in that, we're all in that boat. <laughs> So in spite of our iniquities, if our, if our passion and our pursuit is the heart of God for our lives, God is there to partner with us. Amen to that. And I just think that God wants us to be aware afresh that we're going to be teaching and guiding those who may not always choose wisely at the first. I mean, people's iniquities, just like our own. Sorry, I'm trying to get this. Um, in the beginning may get in the way. But the logos of God will always hit its intended target. And whether people choose another way or whether it's a matter of us remaining faithful in the midst of intense environments, the logos of God will never come up short. God is reminding us of that for the atmospheres and the conditions that are going to be in. Uh, confronting us in increased measure in the days ahead. His logos is everything we need. We know that. But there's going to be subtle ways that the enemy is going to try to sneak that in in another, in another form. So Paul addressed this subject of ekpipto in regards to continuing to move, move forward in grace when he spoke to the saints in Galatia. In Galatians 5, 1 through 4, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen or ekpipto from grace." So here, ekpipto is speaking about being driven off the course of grace, of literally going in reverse from grace. And this issue was apparently a present danger in that group of Galatian saints 
just as it looms in front of the saints today. So if you remember prior to this, Paul had asked in a previous chapter who had bewitched the Galatians that they would fail to obey the truth of Christ, becoming the revelation of their developing identities as sons. They were failing in that. So there was definitely some sort of challenge at work amongst the faithful ones, some type of effort to lure them down another path. And Paul offers them and us the proactive solution first, which we know, but stand fast or stako in the liberty wherein Christ made us free. This is the perfect, this word uh, stako is the perfect tense of estemi. And basically, for those of you who aren't English majors, that means when we stand fast, we're actually demonstrating the perfect meaning of the word histemi. Did you know you were doing that? Is that cool or what? Essentially, we don't move from the place that we've been planted. We remain there in commitment to the agape of God. Now, this isn't new because each one of you have been doing this for the past 16 plus years very faithfully. You've ruled and you've reigned in the place, in this place, as you've stood strong in the faith. You haven't surrendered your position for anything else. And believe me, we know there's been lots of other things that have been easier that have been offered. But this is where we find true freedom as a son. But guess what? There's going to be new challenges that challenge, that come against our stance. You didn't think you'd get to stand against the same things you'd already conquered, did you? Nope. There's going to be new things that try to move us. And I dare say they'll be more subtle and streamlined in nature, given that we've all matured in this walk. So with greater maturity comes what? Greater responsibility, and with greater responsibility comes greater opposition. So the things that tested us 16 years ago are not really a thing for us today because we've grown. We're not the same people. But there will be new things that will come against our stance. So don't underestimate our position. Continue to demonstrate the ownership that you've gained over this terio and over the other terios that God is entrusting to you. The second proactive step is don't become entangled with the yoke of bondage. Now that sounds, well, of course not. Why would I do that? But we've readily seen that abandoning one's position only creates a measure of bondage. If you step aside from your position at all, and who wants that, man? We came out of that. We came out of bondage. We don't want to go back into it again. Because when that happens, then an entanglement occurs, and we begin to echo that bondage. We actually cease to echo the things that God has deposited within us, and instead, we begin to repeat back to others the very thing that's taken hold of us, and the very thing that opposes what God is doing. It's really a weird kind of dichotomy thing there. But our devotion to the burden of God's heart is the only measure by which we can live unrestrained, from the obligations around us, from society's expectations, everybody else's opinion, and from the doctrines of devils that are arising before us. It's only through staying in position and praying God's mysteries into reality that we are accountable only to the identity that God created for us to be. Elsewise, there are all sorts of identities around us, just waiting, reaching out, calling, crying out to be taken up and embraced. And I see this so strongly, as I know you probably do too, in the people around me, even the people that God has directed me to talk to. Some are feeling the tug of devoting their whole self to God. They, they really are sensing that. But family needs, the identity of, well, this is, this is just who I've always been. The pressures of trying to fix the wrongs and the injustices of this world, that's a big one right now, all have their say in deflecting them from the narrow course that God's calling them to. And so while this, this standing firm is foundational Saints 101, we can see how this temptation to deviate from this position still rises up to lure the saints away because the enemy is all about driving the saints of God off course, off the course of grace. That's going to be a continuing objective of his. And we've seen this recently, of course, with the progressive teachings that have infiltrated some of the saints' churches in this nation. But don't think that the enemy won't repackage 
this whole thing just because we're on to his ploy, just because we're on to his strategy. We must continue to fight for our identities, continue to fight for our position at the right hand of God, and to fight for our time to be with our Father in order to hear his heartbeat and to fulfill his desire. That fight is God's agape at work within us. That's what that fight is all about. And it's refueled by our time with him. So that's why we keep fighting. Our burden must continue to be the burden of our Father, even in the midst of many other pressing burdens. And you know what? Sometimes those other burdens don't feel heavy. They don't feel like burdens at all. They're just seemingly easier. And they're just things that require less effort, less investment on our part, easier, just easier to, to do. And really, it's kind of like a lazy factor enters in. It's a very subtle thing, but it's a very real thing. And we have to guard against that. So our liberty and our success can only be found in continuing to pray the mysteries of God over this earth, laying claim to the fact that they are coming into being, in continuing to submit ourselves devotedly to our master through giving ourselves wholly in proskuneo, and in continuing to personally incorporate God's truth into our identity, as well as delve into his word for ourselves to discover the hidden truths that are there. But Paul really says it much better in these next two two verses, in verses 5 and 6. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. You know, this whole discussion of circumcision reminds me of what people say when they speak about their church or about a church they're looking for. They begin listing all the cool, attractive things that, they're, that have caught their attention. But remember, circumcision is so much more than what most of the church sees it as. The Jews embraced it as a point of entitlement. But it's really the cutting away of things that hinder us from our true identity of moving forward in grace. So while Christians are looking for, and really I've heard this recently from people I've, I've been talking with, the kickingness, if that's a word, the kickingness worship music that touches things in our emotions, you know, while they're looking for things like that, for gatherings where everybody's needs and desires are met, for stellar outreach programs with amazing social um, responses, for messages that lift people out of their down feelings and give hope for better conditions and circumstances, we know it's about the continual process of dying, of dying to what we want to do, of dying to what we want to accomplish today. And circumcisions for the son is just submitting our whole selves and allowing the Father to perfect us in those crucial junctures in life. So that's really what this past year or so has been about. He's been perfecting us. He's been trying us. He's been focusing our attention on those points of iniquity that we need to lay down and overcome. And what matters to us as anointed sons are really the accomplishments of what we've heard at the right hand and the victory that we've fulfilled through our passion that's born out of his heart. That's our path of grace and our hope of righteousness. Amen? So in this next verse, we see the effect of ekpipto on agape. And I'm going to give you a hint. There isn't any. <laughs> wink, wink. No, no effect. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Agape never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. This is a different word, katargio. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. You know, I find it so curious that many believers who have a particular, and I'm talking to myself because I've been there. I've been one that's upheld this who have a particular stance against the spiritual gifts of the Spirit, they look at this statement as a reason to throw out prophecy in tongues. 
but I've never heard of anyone suggesting we toss out knowledge. I don't know why that never occurred to me when I was against all that I, and looking at this. I never looked at this and thought, well, you know, if I'm going to throw out the other things, I guess we better get rid of knowledge too. That never occurred to me because I was just following the mandate, <laughs> following the party line. Anyway, as we're breathing hard after God and his purpose, it will never become inefficient. It will never lose its force. And that's a great thing. That's Agape is what keeps us in the power of God. It's the essence for every spiritual capacity and for every Christian undertaking that's righteous. It requires, agape requires fresh and present truth to function. So by that we know it's always current, it's always effective, and it's always in, uh, invested in the newest thing that God is doing or the newest thing that he wants to reveal. And it's got to be the driving force behind everything we do as saints. That's why God continually has been reminding us about guarding our first love. It's, it's been a thing that he keeps resurrecting and bringing up and reminding us of over and over throughout the years. Elsewise, the things that we do, whether it be prophecy, whether it be praying in tongues, or even applying knowledge, will end up being ap- accomplishing nothing without that passion to fuel them. And I can't think of anything worse than losing the divine fuel behind what we do. You know, to where we're just going through motions. That's the ultimate, I never knew you. Didn't I do this in your name? I never knew you. None of us wants to be there. Agape is our lifeblood, and the responsibility is ours to keep it stirred through commune with our Father. So our hearts burning within to press towards the goal of establishing his purpose in and through us will carry us on into and through eternity and I dare say measure, uh, uh, operate in a measure of force and authority that we probably can't even wrap our heads around right now. But God will eventually reveal. I mean, I know there's things that he's getting ready to reveal to us because he's readied us to that point that we're just going to stand in awe of. And then from that point, it'll go further, and we'll still be in awe. Um, I'm guessing we're going to live in awe throughout eternity. (laughs) My address is 1035 Awe Street. Okay. All righty. Now it's James' turn to offer a warning to the saints who are spread throughout the nations regarding the condition of our minds. James 1, 8 through 11 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is, of no, is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falls, or ekpipto, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Obviously, an individual who's divided in their interest, one who vacillates back and forth in their purpose, is fickle in all his ways. There's not going to be any staunch standing there. And this is what James addresses in this application of ekpipto, because really there's only two choices. Talk about the, the low man or the poor man and the rich man, but really what he's talking about is the life of humility where we rely wholly on the provision of the Lord and where we choose to lay down the things that appeal to what we think we need or the things that satisfy and fill us up as an individual versus the life of one who's filled with everything around us, the, the attention of others, the value of being needed, the security of knowing what's coming, of having all your ducks in a row, the assurance of seeking agreement from others with what God's showing us. We don't need that. We need God. We just need, we just need to humble ourselves before him. The first, although in a position of meekness and humility, is truly a point of exaltation in your position before God, while the second is no different than the flower that's, that is beautiful and noticed for a moment, but quickly cast down from that state of prosperity, from that state of beauty, 
and, and recognized importance and value to a place that's no longer positioned before or functions on behalf of God. And so this is, this is the balancing act. This is the, the choice. God has blessed us all tremendously. He has provided for our every need over and above what we've needed. We can look back over this past year while the world is crying out for lack and crying out for isolation and isolation and for everything that is the opposite of what they desire. And even in the midst of that, we've had fulfillment. We've had fulfillment in every area, individually, corporately as a house, and even overall as a network. And God has done this in our health, even when there's been challenges. He still provided for us. He still healed us in our finances, in our jobs. I mean, we could go on with the list. All of this in the midst of times of also personal reflection, personal examination, and personal refinement. But those blessings can easily become our position of feasting rather than continuing to offer ourselves in meekness and humility before God. We just have to be aware of it. It's, it's not that this is what we're doing, because nobody's doing that. But we have to be aware that that can become a very easy place to settle. You know, I look at what God's done just in this house financially, and I go, that's impossible. If the world looked at that, in fact, Annette met with someone this week talking about uh, servers, and he says, I know you have a small church. And he said, how many exactly do you have? And she said, well, I think on a good day, 28. And he said, I knew you were small, but I didn't know you were that small. But he asked, what do we have? Like, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of our last uh, treasures report showed, Bob, off the top of your head. 13, that's what I thought, but I thought, am I thinking that wrong? $13,000. What? Of course, we're, we're asking God how to invest that back into his ministry. But, I mean, he has... That's an impossibility. You guys do recognize that, right? You realize that's an impossibility by the standards of this world. That just doesn't happen. And I know I could go through here and probably poll each one of you, and you could give me, if not financial, in some other measure of a way that God has blessed and provided for you over and above your expectations in this past year. Amen? Okay. So even in that... Um, we, we want to stay on the cutting edge. We want to stay on the cutting edge of what God wants us to do and remain humble and meek in the midst of that and, and not give in to that just wanting to f just get comfortable. Just expect even that. We, we just want to expect him and expect the next new thing that he's doing. And it probably would be a good thing to occasionally ask the Father to uh, do a continuing work of humility and meekness in us, and then be very sure that we're not rejecting it when it comes. You know, because sometimes it comes in forms that we're going, oh, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Just being honest here, folks. So, all right. So here we come full circle to the first usage of this word. Does anybody have anything they want to add? No insight? All right. Did you want to say something 10 minutes ago? You can still say it. Just raise your hand. Let's see. Let me read back the transcript here. I made a note here as we were talking. Um, uh, the what the enemy offers us, excuse me, what the enemy offers us is uh, more of a detour. Mm -hmm. Always there, there's a detour, and the promise is you'll come back around to the same place, but it will be an easier drive. You know, it, it, it's like don't. Don't go over that rough terrain because it's going to require some uh, difficult negotiations. But if you have this path over here, that will avoid all those things. And 
what, what he's saying is the things that God has set to make you strong, you can avoid and come out in the same place, but he doesn't tell you you're going to be weaker, and you won't be able to handle what is going to happen in that place. And his plan is that when that happens, uh, there'll be another detour because you can't go forward so you can, you can again, circumvent. And, and those are the times that we, uh, dec- or the people are declaring, not necessarily we, but didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I come to that point and say, here, I did this, I made it. And God said, no, you didn't. You, you didn't arrive at that place ready to move with me. You, you arrived at that place only with the capability of going to the next detour. Okay. I was just thinking, uh, I can't imagine the subtleties that the enemy is going, has planned. God knows them already. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that he allows that because this is part of what he's prophesied. So we're not going to avoid that. I, I see people, I hear people talking about where we're going to correct this injustice and we're going to get to a point where evil men can no longer do, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Have you not read the scripture? I mean, evil is going to be here. It's, it's going to do its work, but we're called to work in the midst of that, and that means we can't even be waylaid by becoming so disgusted with the evil that we see. Does that make sense? Because I can just, I know personally, I can just look at some of the things that I can't even grasp how man's mind can go there to do such evil things. And I'm sure there's some that I have not even heard of yet that are going to be coming up on the radar. And, and yet, I, can, I don't want to be, have so much disdain and disgust for that, that that becomes my focus. That can't, I can't afford to have that be my focus. My focus has to always be, what am I here to do? What am I here to do? What is God doing in the midst of this? Um, where are we going? What new thing are we stepping into? And even though that's like over there and it's, it's, it's influencing everything over here, there's still a point of power and a point of strength that I'm standing on in the midst of this. And that's where we move forward from. And in that, we can't judge our success by what appears to be going on. No. Because if that's our criteria, then we will become like, oh, what's the use? You know, here I did everything that God told me to do, and this is what happens What's the use? And we, we're, we're lured into this thing of, I gotta, I'm just giving up. You know? I think some of that tried to hit the saints this, over this past year, too. And, and thankfully, I, they, they didn't give into it. But I know it's a very real feeling. You know? and, and that's the thing. Our bodies are still, our emotions are still going to feel these very strong feelings of what is in the atmosphere. And it's, it's going to really it's going to be shattering to, to our emotions and stuff. But I was telling my sister the other day, you know, she was talking about the, the influence of trying to pray and having all these other thoughts come in. And I said, that's part of the warfare. You just, I said, there are some days, there have been instances where I've just spent a lot of time just over and over. Okay, mind, flesh, my spirit is the one in control right now. Just shove off and move out. And I'll pray, and then here it comes again. And I have to pull it all over again because our, our flesh, our, our, our will is so strong. It's a strong part of who we are, which is why it's such a sacrifice to kill it. <laughs> if, it wasn't that, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be any big sacrifice, would it? So, okay, I digress. Anyway. <laughs> this must be Vicky Honesty or something. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so we come... We come full circle to the first usage of this word in Mark 13, which I've chosen to address last, the prophetic declaration of the end objective. So Mark speaks here of leading up to this, of the conditions leading up to the return of Christ. And, you know, this is always a head-scratcher for me, for the pre-trib folks, which is what most of the church is, because they think they're being whisked out of here, my... um, my, hair, my new hairdresser just mentioned that to me the other day, before all of the bad stuff starts. And yeah, that, that preaches well, but this passage clearly outlines some of the circumstances that we're going to be living in the midst of 
prior to Christ's return. So I'm not sure what you do with that. I guess you just don't read those little parts like I didn't read that other part before about when I was... <laughs> I guess that's what you do. Anyway, Mark 13, 19 says, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Whoa, a pressure unlike anything since the beginning of creation. That's saying a lot. And I don't think we're, yet, we're there yet, thank God. Um, but if you think about what must have transpired as Lucifer convinced the Council of Seven and a third of the angelic host that they could do better than what their creator had offered them, and if you consider the words that are used in Genesis just after the earth was formed and before he spoke the actual light into existence on this earth to describe the condition of it, words like without form, which means confusion, emptiness, vanity, place of chaos. The earth was void. It was a waste that was undistinguishable, a ruin. And it was, there was darkness, obscurity, misery, and destruction. All of those indicate a force exerted upon the atmosphere of heaven and earth that attempted to mightily influence it towards the very opposite of what God intended. That's a lot of stuff. And there's definitely a lot of that ramping up right now, but we're certainly not in the thick of it yet. Does that sound scary to you guys? Well, it really shouldn't when you think that God has been faithful to prepare us along the way. The things that we're facing today, we couldn't have faced and been victorious in 16 plus years ago. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why he didn't hit us with that. He didn't allow us to be hit with that stuff because he was preparing us. He was growing us. He was maturing us. And um, he's equipped us to recognize. You guys recognize these very things and more. You can discern things now that you never, it never would have been a blip on your radar when we first began this walk, right? So, um, go ahead, Adrian. Well, and I was just thinking, too, in light of all, like you said, the darkness and the upheaval and all that, and, you know, and it's talking about the darkness that was over the face of the deep, and knowing that that deep is that point of upheaval. It's a point of turning those things that the enemy has covered over on its head so that it functions. And so we're right in the middle of that. Right. So, But that we've got that power behind us. We've got that power to be able to turn it on its head and to overcome and to Amen. stand. And so then there isn't that overwhelming because that power is what destroyed everything the enemy had tried to do the first time when the deep was opened up, you know. Right. And, and that's kind of, you know, what the Father, that promise that he's given us to be able to function in that capacity to stand against. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is God has made it... So, do you have something to say? Yeah. God's made it so simple. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just uh, hitchhiking on what Adrian just said because uh, the promise was that the world would never be destroyed by flood again, but by fire. And who are we? Sons of fire. Right. We are the lightning. We are, we are what's going forth five times hotter than the sun. We represent the... Um, uh, we represent that, that new thing that's coming. Uh, we, we represent how God is going to um, bring about justice. Well, the righteous judgment of the Lord. Yeah, that <laughs> plumb line of perfection. Amen. His jealous spirit. That's what we represent. Absolutely. Amen. So it's, it's, he's made it really simple because our strategic response is what? Just to be and do who, who he created us to be and do. I mean, that's pretty simple when you, when you look at it overall. We don't have to have some big old um, dictionary of strategies and, and all these blueprints of what we need to go. We just, we just need to be and do who he created us to be and do. And I guess that can't be said enough because he keeps bringing this up um, because it really just needs to be a part of our spiritual muscle memory so that that's, that's what we go to. It's our automatic identity of who we are. So Mark 13, 21 through 22 says, and then if any man shall say to you, lo, here's Christ, or lo, he is there, don't believe him. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders. These are going to be lying signs and wonders, of course. 
to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So the condition of false Christs and false prophets, what are false Christs? Those individuals deceiving the people with a counterfeit identity in an attempt to lead them down a pathway of life that opposes a path of purity. In other words, they're bringing a different picture of what God's son should be and do from what God says. And I think that's pretty easy to see. If you know what God wants, then it's easy to see when you're, when you're faced with something he doesn't want, <laughs> that doesn't match up to what he wants. So therefore, I'm not going there. False prophets literally means pseudo-prophetes. Prophetes, sorry. Those who pretend to be proclaimers of truth. So think about who a prophet is. That's one that cooperates with the present truth of God. So then a false prophet offers a deceptive and lying version of that because who's he cooperating with? The present lies of the father of lies, right? So their objective of both of these groups of people is to lead the saints away from the truth if they're capable of doing so. And that really means if they're functioning in a, a dunamis power beyond what we are functioning in. But we're living in and applying power from the thronos. So that's what keeps us from being led away in error. We stay in that line. We stay in that lifestyle. And we can't be led away. And you think back to some of those that we have, we have labored beside. And the first thing that, that starts to enter in is going to be you get away from that lifestyle and you start living a different lifestyle. And you no longer live in that power. You no longer live in the dunamis. You no longer pursue the agape. And when that occurs, that's when error can sneak in. So here we come to where our, our word is used in verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall ekpipto, and the powers or the dunamis that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great dunamis and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect. That's after all this. From the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. These are some cataclysmic conditions that occur before Jesus returns for the eclectos, those who've been entrusted with the application and supervision of God's structure, his structural plan, through our obedience. And those stars will literally no longer be in the positional heights that God placed them in. That's one of the conditions of these last, these last hours or last days, whatever you want to call it. They will no longer have the force that they were established with. You think about what the stars and the moon and the sun, how much light force that gives. I mean, it's not just light. It's also gravity and heat, you know, all of that. And I don't know what this is going to look like in the natural. I'm, I'm, I'm not even speculating on that. I mean, maybe it's a chicken little syndrome where people are yelling, the sky is falling. I have no idea. But I do know that continuing function through dunamis power is going to be in Christ himself. And the only light needed will reflect the Father's truth in and through him. And you know what? We see this referenced over in Revelation 21, 23, and 24, where it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The new Jerusalem will no longer need the sun or moon because the glory of God himself will literally lighten it, and the Lamb of God will be the light. And the nations which have become whole in their devotion and their calling to God will walk in that light. And this is what God is working in each one of us. It's the ongoing truth of his light that we continue to become. That's going to culminate 
in functioning in pure truth and the absence of anything less than that. Hi. Hey. <laughs> um, you said in the scripture right before Revelation, I don't know what this is going to look like. And I think that's what God's doing too, is he's starting to reveal those kinds of things to us. And then we're not going to say that anymore. We'll be going, oh yeah, I know what it's going to look like now. Yeah. Because he's going to start showing it. But the thing that, that, you're, that you're really bringing up for me is I need to know what his word says. I have to know that because, you know, something could happen. I'm being catastrophic. And I could be the only one left in this church, which would be just unbelievable. But how am I going to go on? Am, am I going to fall apart because I don't have, you know, you and Larry as teachers and leaders? You know, we all, we have to establish, and we are and have been, but we need to really establish our understanding of God's word in a, in a way that we haven't before. So that when you're up there teaching, everything does click for us, and we, and we, we hear the connection. We, we see it in our mind's eye what the Lord is doing so that really nothing can can knock us off. And I, I don't know how people get off the, the beaten track or the unbeaten track, because this is an unbeaten track. The, but, narrow, the narrow path. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do they get off them? And I, I do think, obviously, the lifestyle, something gets in there and changes the lifestyle. But um, we have to know the word. We, more mm-hmm. than just, it's so nice to come here and have a great Sunday school teaching, sermons. That's wonderful. But between Sunday and Sunday, you have to know the word. Well, the word really is also our defense against our own iniquity. Because when it rises up, that can be another thing that pulls us off, that pulls us into those lifestyles that are conflicting. And I was thinking about your, the false prophets and the, the uh, false uh, teachers or false Christ. And it was interesting because, you know, before all this, you'd read that scripture and you'd think, oh, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to, how will I know? And as you state, you continue to talk. It's like, yeah, because we continue to be in that relationship, because we are operating in that deutimus, we're not, our eyes not drawn off by another show of power that's not from the Father. And it, it reminded me of Simon the sorcerer. I mean, the same thing was going on in Jesus' day or in the disciples' day. You know, he had that ability to tap into the histeme, and people were like, oh, God's with him. But then when the apostles came through, and they actually had the spirit behind it, then Simon was like, hey, I, I can, how can I get into that? And it's like, no, this, this is about a relationship. This isn't about power. And I think that that's very similar to where we find ourselves right now, and where we're going to continue to find ourselves, is that, you know, that power's not going to be so sensationalized because we can look at it from, you know, from that power base of where we stand in relationship with the Father and look and go, that's, that's, not, the, that's not the same thing. Yeah. And I am so grateful and amazed and, you know, blown away that we're at that point. You know, we can look at the scripture and now identify, instead of just sitting back and going, I wonder when that's going to happen, you know, we can look at that now and go, oh, well, that's where we are right now, and that's how we're operating right now. And so I think in that aspect as well, the Logos becomes so much more than just stories that, were, you know, that happened back in history, but really it's, more, it's that lifeblood. It's mm-hmm. that constant reading and realizing, no, this is, this is exactly what we need for this moment because it's exactly, again, right. there's nothing new under the sun. Ergo, the very power we need in, that was demonstrated, it's going to look a little different, but it's the same concept and, and uh, foundation that they had back in Jesus' day. Right. And <clears throat> I'm not reading the, uh, the tomes of, of uh, whatever technical books that Pastor Ron is reading right now, the Lord's leading him to read, regarding all of the, mind, the uh, thoughts and thought processes and everything that are going on out there. But I do know from talking to people, I'm coming to a lot of the same conclusions he is, that people are hunting for spiritual things. 
not necessarily God, but they're hunting, they're hungry for spiritual. Um, some of them are calling the things that they've encountered God when they're not. And, you know, this is part of what God has trained us to do. This one individual that I've been talking to um, has grown up in a denominational church but never taught the word. And so she has, she has no grounding whatsoever of what's in Scripture. And so because of that, you wouldn't believe the stuff she's asked me about, sent to me. She's these lost books of, of Judas, lost book. I, there was a whole bunch of them. And I'm, I'm just saying that's not Scripture. This, this person that um, is talking about the injustices of today, and he runs this, he talks about God, and he's coming over to the U.S. from the U.K., and he's going to have what's called these med beds, which are going to um, supposedly take people back to where they were when they were born in their mind as far as trauma and things like that, and even health-wise. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know what they're doing? Because he's calling it, we're doing God's work. They're tapping into the spiritual realm with these things, because this has nothing to do. They're talking about another consciousness, and they're just tapping into the spiritual deposits and utilizing these, and somehow he's gotten the funding of the Navy in this country to set these up in every state. And I'm just like, this is the type of stuff, it's going to be good stuff. It's going to be stuff that's helping mankind. But it's really going to be tapping into demonic things and not utilizing them in, you know, in league with, the, what, with what God is doing. And so I think this is, we're probably going to hear a lot more of this in, in the fall seminar. Pastor really wants to equip us through the Lord at that time with, with all of these things so we have a well-rounded view and know, you know what's out there. Um, but I think this is the new thing that we're going to be confronted with. Many things like this. They're going to sound very legit at first. But our discernment, God has brought us to the point where we stay in the word, we stay in prayer, we stay in commune with him. We're going to know. We're going to know immediately. And we can speak to that and speak the truth to that. And, you know, you talk about uh, more of him and less of us. This is really talking about filling us up with his truth that then becomes the light that goes out to other people. And how else will people know, you know, when they come and grab onto the hymn of a spiritual one and say, let me go with you for, of a truth I know that you are worshiping God. I want to go with you. It's because that truth within us is going to be, is going to be shared outward and it's really going to light up, you know, the, the darkness, what people have been overwhelmed with in the darkness. And so it's no wonder that the enemy despises the sun so much. He has to. It's all he can do. Because we represent everything that's opposite of what he stands for. And we're opening ourselves wholly to the Lord, developing and changing us from what, what bit of us remains into pure him. And I thank God for that. And it's not always easy, but it's worthwhile. It's the only thing worth living for. And so this is really how we're going to function on into eternity. That light is going to probably become something totally, I can't even imagine, God's creativity is so amazing. It's just going to be something off the charts. And it won't have to deal with opposition, but it's going to be something really creative that's going to be awesome. And so this is, this is just our identity. It's who we are. And I just, I thank God for just, this is, it's probably no big deal overall, this word this morning, but it is a gentle reminder in many different areas of our identity, of what we're here to do, and the integral part that each one of you play. That without you, it, it's leaving the body crippled, you know, overall. Because as, as my friend uh, Stacy was saying in one of her teachings, nobody can pray the way God made you to pray. No one can touch his heart the way he created you to touch his heart and partner with him. 
Each one of us is very individual in that. And so without, without us doing that, there's going to be a little bit that's missing. And we, we all are valuable to the kingdom. And so go be valuable. Amen. Amen.